The Shining is the first epic horror film and turned the slasher movie into a beautiful, detailed thriller about the horrors of the mind. This movie also proves that your generation thought was dumb to think that this is a good movie. Out of the two and a half hours, only 15 minutes of it was worth watching. This is 80s Movie Guide. A guide to what's wrong with your parents. I'm Riley Roberts. And I'm Tara McNamara. The Shining is about the Torrance family. Father Jack is an aspiring writer who takes a job maintaining an isolated resort in the middle of winter and brings his wife Wendy and clairvoyant son Danny. What could go wrong? And maybe not get a therapist for their kid who's talking to his finger since preschool. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Um... So, you mentioned that you didn't like the movie. No. Unpopular opinion. This movie sucked. There's literally two hours of suspense until you know what's happening, but... Suspense is just insane, and nothing happens. And then they put (laughs) they put they put like all this like scary music, this scary music, this scary scary music, music, yeah. And they cut it, and nothing scary happens except maybe the kid allusions to twin girls across the hallway. Like, but they don't do anything to him. Yeah, right. He's riding his big wheel. (laughs) Yeah, scary music rises, and you're and then nothing happens. But that's I think that that. so first of all, I want to tell you that you are not wrong. The critics overwhelmingly at the time had the same opinion that you have. And while Stanley Kubrick is noted as a, uh, a you know one of the best directors, a very a detailed director, a very obsessive perfectionist director, this among his works is on the lower considered to be on the lower end so and Stephen King hates this movie yeah I know (laughs) because because uh because Stanley Kubrick kind of eliminated a lot of what King wrote and exactly the things that you're saying that's what Kubrick eliminated so in the novel there is more there, there, you see more of a transformation. You see Jack trying to hold on to his sanity. He's aware he's losing his sanity, and he's struggling with that, and that's gone. It, it really just kind of comes it, down to one moment. Yeah, and he well, yeah, but he also is just like, like maybe he'll have a dream or like a panic attack or something. Mm-hmm. But before that's even happening, he's glaring at his son like, "I just want to slit your throat." Right. Like, like there's no. There's only one time where he goes into a panic attack about killing his family, and it was in a dream. In a dream, yeah. 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 And, well, there's there's a lot to it. So I think that the idea of the film—I'm not going to try and speak for Stanley Kubrick. You know, who knows what he was necessarily thinking about everything. But I, I think that there's a lot more going on in every scene than you are aware of. You, If you take the film at face value— it's different than if you try to dig into what's really going on. Um, so what? Okay, so f- now, so we'll turn to what's wrong with your parents. I think what Stanley Kubrick was getting at is what was going on in society. What was uh, you know things that families were dealing with with domestic abuse. I mean, I think this movie is really about domestic abuse. So, um, whereas Stephen King may have written the book about, you know, ghosts and the supernatural and a haunted house that is taking over your mind and ESP, which was a a, a thing that was getting a lot of attention in the 70s, you know, people were talking about clairvoyance and psychics and there were mentalists that were bending spoons and, you know, there was a, a, a lot of focus on that at that time. So, I think 
maybe that's more what Stephen King was getting at, but Stanley Kubrick turned this into a movie about domestic abuse. And that is where it's fascinating. Um, it, what happens with Wendy, I mean, what it, what it does, right, it takes this invisible dilemma that goes on in the head of a domestic abuse victim and makes it real. So if you are, um, you know, if you're someone who's, like, if you're Wendy, you feel, and you're, 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 you know, abused by your husband or you're, he's abusing your child, you feel isolated, trapped, there's no way out, you know, uh, there's no one to help you. And so when this Kubrick sticks them in the remote wilderness like that, that is making that invisible situation where the victim feels like that and makes it real. They really are isolated. They really are trapped. There is no way out for Wendy. There is no one to help her, you know? So, um, and the long drawn out suspense plays into the domestic violence victim's reality. So there's, you know, really tiny signs show up along the way that you ignore. You know, you hope someone's maybe just in a bad mood. So when I said there was one moment that we see where we, it, there starts to be a real turn with Jack. And that is when she walks in on him, just like, hey, how's it going? Maybe I'll make you a sandwich for lunch. And she's just being a sweet wife, right? And he flips on her and starts, you know, saying, if you hear the typewriter, you know, you need to stay the F out, you know, and he just, he gets really nasty and she stares at him and she realizes something has, you know, like she could be in trouble, like this is bad. And she's going to go back to walking on eggshells, which is what she's doing. We kind of, that's why I think they give that to us at the beginning that, um, that Jack had, had abused his son, um, years ago. And they're blaming it on the alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this has happened before. But as a lot of, you know, wives and people who are in domestic abuse situations, they think, well, I love him. And he realized the error of his ways. And he apologized and swore it was never going to happen again. Um, but you know that's there. Mm-hmm. And while... An outsider can be like, get out, sweetie. Like, you need to get out of this relationship. When you're in it, it's a lot harder, especially if you're thinking about, you know, what does she do for a living? She's a stay-at-home mom. You know, what does, how how is she going to leave him? What will she do? What will happen to their family? Is this worth breaking up the family unit over? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, can you see that? Can you see that maybe what it was really about? Um, yeah. I Just in personal without you explaining all of it it just sounds like um a very normal like just a normal family going insane in a like haunted house and honestly I I don't know I just had a lot of issues with the movie like like how you said how she is super like hey do you want a sandwich and it like makes him annoyed like she's like the annoying like wife but like she's not annoying like all she's trying to do is help but she's like annoying like I just didn't like her like just since the beginning I was like why why is she his wife first of all second of all they had no chemistry well like absolutely no chemistry at all mm -hmm. it was every time she walked in it was hey sweetie how are you doing today like like super like script like so scripted like Mm -hmm. it was just insanely like boring (laughs) so i see it differently i see it differently um you you're right about the lack of chemistry 
I, after thinking about it longer, I think that the lack of chemistry, I, I think that's more about this relationship that they have that is distant, you know, um, that is awkward, you know, uh, about her kind of not being, I mean, you know, you see that same thing with Danny and his dad, right? Mm-hmm. And so when he sits on his lap, I mean, there's no question that the kid who's playing Danny is a good actor. Oh, yeah, yeah, For a yeah. little kid, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you I know? know. I thought he was the best one out of all of them. Like, who's the guy that plays Jack? Jack Nicholson. Yeah, Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I thought, I I was so disappointed. Like, if in him. Like, I don't know what it was, but right when he started talking and he came on the screen and was doing the interview, I was like, what? <laughs> like, this does not, this, like, he can do so much better acting. Mm-hmm. Like, I just thought his it acting is really was over the so, top. like, yeah, I thought it's it was It's almost so, campy. Yeah, it's like, I don't, like, I just didn't like it. Like, it was mainly his acting and then her, just the, I don't know. I just didn't like any of their acting except the kids. Mm-hmm. Like, the kid nailed it, even with the <laughs> finger, with the voice, like, with the, with the, like stare with the silence like mm-hmm. he he mastered that but jack nicholson he, like he was above jack nicholson in this movie for me like he did a shitty job acting well so what we <laughs> like, know okay but this is what you don't know and i want to get back to danny and the way that he acted with um with his dad but but so stanley kubrick is a director that makes people do 200 takes 50 takes to walk across the street. It's, I mean, beyond overkill. And you don't know, and, and part of what I think, having read about him, and, and not, I haven't done a, a lot of study, so I'm not an expert in this area at all, but that there is something he's looking for that will tell the story he's trying to tell, which may, again, appear different than what you see. You know, well, I, it's a I, bad story. Well, what I see <laughs> happening in this film is... So, for me, the scene on the uh, staircase where Jack is really losing his mind and Wendy understands that they are in mortal danger. And she's and, swinging the bat. And she's swinging the bat and she's hysterical. You know, I was crying during that scene. And, you know, we watched it together, but in a, at a Fathom event in a theater. And so, you know, you didn't see that. I didn't want you to see that. But that felt so real to me because if you've been in a situation where you are with someone who is, you know, gr- you know is losing their sanity, I mean, all of that, and who's, a, you know, verbally abusive, it, it all was so true. It was all so true. And I connected with that in, in, in a way that, like, brought me to a place I didn't like, you know? And, and was like, oh, I know this, and it's, it's too familiar. Well, I thought she was just stupid for <laughs> swinging the bat around when he could have just grabbed it from her and then hit her with it. Like, like her just constantly swinging and swinging and swinging that bat. Uh-huh. Like, and he said, stop swinging the bat. Like, he, there, he could put his hand out and grab that bat, like, Easy, and then turn it around and just bop you in the head. But with she it. didn't know yet that he was truly murderous, right? Okay, so but that doesn't, she doesn't matter. Know. She like she if know. she's swinging a bat at him, what do you think he's gonna do back? Well, right. And if he's already insane and looks like he's trying to kill her and is like following her upstairs really creepily and trying to chase her and is obviously scary, you don't think that he's gonna grab that bat from you, well, especially you being a 
a quote-unquote weak woman. She is a weak woman in this. She is she's weak. Such, she's weak. Like, she's, she's weak. Right. And, like, you think a strong man is not going to take a bat from someone who's weak and who looks like they're trying to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't think he's going to grab that and hit you with it? Like, are you dumb? Wait. Why don't you hold the bat and wait until he's close enough and not paying attention for you to hit him in the head? Well, true. Which she ends up doing. Yeah. But in, just in the first place, there's no need to be constantly swinging that around, waiting for him to grab it. Just hold it close to you until he gets too close. Right. Like, that's, like, that's, well, that I think drove me crazy. Well, I, I, it, it, but I understood what was going on, which is she's trying to keep him at bay. She's trying to say, she's she's like, I'm confused. She wants to get to her room, get her kid, get them to safety. If she hits him over the head and it doesn't knock him out, he's going to beat the crap out of her badly. She doesn't even know how badly. Or we, and we don't know. We don't know if there's more domestic abuse on that end with her. Um, we don't know. You know, but that sort of weak woman, I mean... <laughs> You know, domestic abuse victims are not. You know, they they get to. It, there's a there's a lot of psychological abuse that happens to where women stay in these relationships. You know, and the way that they're manipulated and the way that they're gaslighted and all of that. And so, you know, this is she doesn't know what's happening. This has gone to a new level. She knows he has a dangerous side, but she doesn't know how dangerous. You know, she, and so she's like just trying to say, I don't know, she's crying, I don't know what's going on, stay away from me, and all she wants to do is get to safety. And so when she realizes that he is, when he finally says he's going to kill her, right? He finally says, I'm, you know, put the bat down, you know, and then I'm going to bash your brains in. Now she knows it's serious, and then that's when she takes her shot. So I actually would argue for her on that side, but, um, but I could, I, I think that there's, and so, so then the next question is, let's go back to Danny and his dad. Mm-hmm. So this incident has happened with Danny. Probably around the time Tony showed up, you know, his finger friend, yeah. <laughs> who lives in his mouth. Yeah. Who sometimes hides in his stomach. Yeah. Now, what does that tell you? Is that, have- was that a weird description well, yeah it's a weird it's a very weird description he's a little boy that tells me what to do and like that that's kind of like um it's a, it's a little schizo not no like not like you where you're seeing things but in a way it's like schizophrenic because mm-hmm. you have your inter- you have a conscience but you know it's your conscience and you gave that conscience a character mm-hmm. like i don't know like it's it like and it's telling me to do things like it's telling me to claw my eyes out it's telling me to do this or whatever mm-hmm. even though he doesn't do that mm-hmm. but at the same like when he's saying like it, that confused me because they never really explained tony Mm-hmm. Like, they never really explained it. Well, I think it. they tried to... I mean, I know. I agree. Like, in one element, it's this part of The Shining, and then it's something... But I think it's also, like, a self-protective. Like, we watched um, the movie... Was it Split? With James McAvoy, who's got the multiple personalities. Oh. And uh, and then seeing that movie, which is, uh, you know, astonishing, and is a fictional film, but based on... A real mental disorder. Yeah. And so these personalities, like, develop uh, to protect... Yeah. Um, protect somebody who's 
often been abused. And so, you know, maybe that is what Tony is, or maybe he's, you know, some sort of, maybe he's an evil force, maybe he's a protective force, maybe he's, you know, who knows? Like, we, they don't ever explain that. I wish that they did. But there's a lot of stuff in the movie that's just a little weird, and you're just like, huh? You know, and, and how does that make sense? Okay, so... um when he sits on his dad's lap and then, in, okay, so he sees the dad and the dad's in the bedroom, right? And the dad looks over at him. And Danny knows something's, mm-hmm. something's afoot. Like, this is not good. And his dad comes in there and sit on my lap and they have that conversation. And he's like, you know I won't hurt you. No, I love you. And I would never hurt you. And Danny's like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So he doesn't want to set his dad off. Mm-hmm. Okay. And number one, number two, he knows fully well his dad's capable of hurting him because he's done it before. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole thing, and so he's the dad's kind of trying to gaslight him and say, you know, put it right in his mind. But we don't know all what happens. But what we do know happens is the next time we see Danny, right? The next thing we see is like from Danny's point of view that the two thirty seven key is in the door. He's going through, and then when he comes out, he's, um, you know, he now his sweater's torn and he has scratches on his neck. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the and in the meantime, Jack has this dream. Those are the events that happen in between Danny showing up and sucking his thumb and now being uh, non-communicative. Right now, mm-hmm. he Dan, Danny's gone. We only have Tony after that. So, what happened? What do you think happened? I don't know. Because in no other time do the ghosts actually physically... Hurt anyone. Yeah, they're getting in people's brains and freaking them out and encouraging things. But when do they actually touch somebody? I don't think they do. Yeah, I mean, we only have those two... We only have the moments around that incident, right? So did this apparition strangle Danny and what would be her purpose in doing so you know and then Jax goes and he has you know he sees it that he's making out with it and you know it becomes this old gross corpse yeah Yeah. basically living corpse um so one of the theories online and by the way I will put somewhere where we get this theory from because I don't have it and the guy deserves credit because he did a lot of work tracing it. What he's pointed out is that it's sexual abuse and that Jack has likely been sexually abusing Danny the whole time. Now, does anybody else get this? Probably not. You know, this guy did a lot of investigation and goes and finds all these moments and all these scenes to add things up. And some of them might be a reach, but Stanley Kubrick is such a perfectionist and and detail-oriented uh, director that a lot of it really makes sense. Um, one detail that really sold me was that when Jack is in the waiting room waiting for the interview, he's reading Playgirl magazine. Oh, yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. He, yeah, he was like, yeah, he was looking at a weird magazine. You don't look at Playgirl magazine while you're waiting for a job interview, even in, you know, 1980. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, Playgirl is where naked men are, not women. And, uh, this guy points out that this particular issue, which was not a recent issue, it was a specific issue that was in there, is about, it has on the cover, incest, why some parents sleep with their children. 
Like, that's on there. And I was like, whoa, that's that's the thing that Beyond It sold me. But whether he sexually abused him or he just abused him, I think that the scratches on the neck came from Jack, that he did that. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and then however the, the, um, the house is messing with everyone's minds or whether you can't accept, you know, abuse victims, sexual abuse victims often will, you know, initially deny that it happened or they can't, you know, Danny's clearly going somewhere else to try and cope with everything as well. Yeah. Um, and then the, the tail end of this is that, you know, in the end where Wendy starts seeing all of these, now all of a sudden she's seeing crazy things like the furry, Giving yeah. oral sex okay, yeah. to some what rando. What was that? Like, when, why did a furry come into this picture? I saw that and was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, some person's dressed as a bear blowing some butler? Yeah. Like, why what? was that involved? Well, right, <laughs> like, right. And apparently there is a bigger story that that plays into in the movie that's totally cut, I mean, in the book, that's totally cut out of the movie, except that scene. So, again, this author, whose name I will put in the, you know, I, I in will... In the description. In the description, and I will include when we do the Shining page. Um, you know, so so everything... So everything changes from that point, right? She sees them... And then we see skeletons in another room, with the, you know, in a, in a cobwebbed room. And we start to see other... She's seen the house, but not things we've seen before. Yeah. Right? So it's like, what's going on? Like, I can buy if this is, if this is Jack's mental breakdown. Okay. Danny has ESP. If he's connected to the mental breakdown, you know, and he can see these things as well. Okay, but why is Wendy seeing these things, you know? And so, but she's seen things that are different. So and things that don't have anything to do with the story. But what this guy is suggesting is that it is her own, she is a victim of sexual abuse. It's her childhood sexual abuse. And all of this is like coming, you know, all of her memories are coming back. And all of, you know, so this is, uh, it's kind of, it's a cycle and it's come full circle. So, you know, whatever. So that's, that's the theory. That's the theory. But, but why is there a furry? I know because there was a story there. So my opinion is there was a storyline about this furry, except he was in a dog costume instead of a bear costume and that that is totally cut out of the movie but they have that scene because he's using it because it's from the book but also to drive home what Wendy's going through that had nothing okay, to do with the book. but what's the story about the furry? I don't know. I, I know. You have to read the book. I don't want to read the book. I want you to tell me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's some sort of gay sideline storyline um, about all of that. Uh so another point, yeah. If we're sidetracking, yeah, sure. This movie is not scary to me at all. Uh huh. It's not scary. Yeah. Like, like it's not scary. Okay. <laughs> like okay, like when like I don't know the twins. Mm-hmm. They don't do anything. Mm-hmm. They just say come play with us. And we then, don't know that the twins were were bad spirits. They, they were weren't. two little girls who were murdered. You know, no, they, they might really want Danny to play with them. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like they didn't do like okay, like they didn't do anything that scary except show Danny like what how they were killed and what it looked like when they were killed, and that mm-hmm. was it. Yeah. And then um, 
like the room being filled with blood. Like mm-hmm. that did not look like blood. First of all, second of all, where did that come from? <laughs> Third of all, what that that doesn't make sense. Uh huh. Like just oh, it's so scary for blood to be spewing everywhere. Okay, well you're not giving me dead bodies. You're not giving me a story of how there was dead blood everywhere. Uh huh. Like um, when Wendy's seeing like all of the skeletons or whatever, which are the same people that. Jack was hanging out with when they were alive. Or not alive, but right, you know. Right, in the when, 20s, when he's back yeah, in the 20s, right? When he's back in the 20s, but she sees all of the corpses. Like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense either. Like, mm-hmm. how does that have to do with her sexual abuse? Mm-hmm. And then, um, what else? Like, skeletons in the closet. The only scary thing, which is that. I know that I saw before this, I saw this movie was the scene of him going, here's Johnny, which also doesn't make sense to me because his name is Jack. Well, okay, because there was a show, uh, The Tonight Show had the host Johnny Carson, and that's how they used to introduce him. They'd be like, here's Johnny, and so it was a play on that, which was a very popular show and that what's so weird about that is that then became a punchline that you know adults would be like come into a come in somewhere and be like here's johnny you know yeah which i'm just kind of like what like like what right right (laughs) like that doesn't make sense also um the the maze okay the maze was a little scary because you know you can't you don't know like it's mm-hmm. a little boy getting chased with an axe and mm-hmm. you don't know where you're going and you can't see him or whatever um but he just like the ending is just like so stupid because they get away and he just freezes to death mm-hmm like, yeah. I, like, okay, cool, now he's dead. Like, that, like, it just, it was just him scaring them. And well, then he, trying to kill them. Well, trying yeah. to kill them, but it just scared them, and then they ended up getting away. And then, oh my god, that's another point. The maze? No. Well, while you're, so, uh, so that is, Stephen King would again agree with you, because he ended the novel that the place blows up. I think the freezing part might be... Like, that's dumb. Like, he could have just gotten up and gone back inside. I think he's so mentally, um, you know, incapacitated at that point. Like, he's he's off his rocker. So, to just walk inside, <laughs> you know, I, I, that's how I took it. That you, you would just, like, sit there and wait for them to come back or plot how you're going to go get them. And then he froze to death. The maze, by the way. So all of these things you're bringing up, because there are a million theories on this film. There are so much information out there. There are movies made about, like documentaries made about one tiny item in this film. So I don't, because we focus on what's wrong with your parents, I don't want to get into every theory, um, because there's lots of good info out there by people who've done a lot of research. But I, I, uh, but yes, all those things that you are mentioning, there's, you know, Kubrick, Likely had a reason for it, uh, and not everyone agrees that it was the way to go. The maze, he totally made up. Yeah. That wasn't in the book. Um, another thing. Mm-hmm. The whole—I I don't remember the black guy's name, but the guy that worked there— Dick Halloran? Yeah, Dick. Mm-hmm. He—there was no point. The only point there was— for his part of the story, was to tell Danny, like, oh, 
like I see that you have something in you and you know you know what's going on because someone else is letting you know. Mhm. Um but then when he comes back the fact that he just like comes back and immediately dies just like <laughs> bugs me cuz I'm like okay then there was like no point in telling his story and I know that they used the car that he brought to leave which was their the, savior yeah, but the snowcat but just the way that he died was so stupid. Like, he goes, hello, is anyone here? When he knows he has the shining or whatever in him, too. He knows what's happening. He went to go save Danny, and he's saying, hello, is anyone here? <laughs> and he's, like, not even looking around, and then, boom, axed, like, you're dead. Like, that was so, like, Okay, what? so this is what I would say about that, and this is what's wrong with your parents. So, you know, what amazes me is that when we see this evolution of horror, still by white male directors, we st- we see tropes continue, you know, or, I mean, maybe this is even the heyday of the trope, so maybe that's why. But, like, you have all these different directors. They still kill the black guy first. Yeah. And so what you're saying to me is 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 racist, is, is a racist thing that the film community has put in there that the black guys you know he's too dumb i mean like you're right he has the shining he should know why would he do that (laughs) to me that's an offense of the filmmaker yeah um but what he does do is he still does rescue them no i know he rescues them and that's the point of him coming but like and they he totally could own. have survived and still rescued them and (laughs) when and when wendy sees him dead Right? That's a game changer for her because it's all, she's trying to escape him. She's trying to, you know, she doesn't know what's going on, but when she sees uh, the cook show up and he's dead, she knows Jack did it, obviously, and she knows it's, this is, this is serious. He's not threatening. He's not going to just beat them up. He is going to kill them, you know, and that in, increases her desperation that we must escape right away you know and that's yeah. what pushes that so and then it does allow them instead of to come in and be rescued by some you know guy instead she is rescuing herself she rescues her son and so it's kind of ends empowering yeah. <laughs> if there's that um yeah i did want to bring up one other thing about the um about the domestic violence, um, which is that, that, you know, domestic violence, of course, has been around since the caveman knocked women out with a stick and dragged them by their hair to their cave, right? Like, yeah. it's been around since humanity's been around, I think. But um, society's recognition of it as not being okay is actually pretty recent. So if you watch old movies, you know, you see examples of men threatening or intimidating women and uh, sometimes it's played for laughs. And there was a series, a TV series called The Honeymooners. It was really famous. Ralph Cramden uh, was a blue-collar worker, and he would threaten his wife Alice with a fist and go, To the moon, Alice! Like, you know, as if he's going to hit punch her to the moon. Like, that's how hard he's going to hit her. That was funny. It's so funny. You know, she was like a... Uh, you know, she, it was kind of balanced with the fact that she was a wife who was like not taking it and being like, whatever, Ralph, and like she could handle her own, but like still, it was okay. And I think I haven't showed you before, but I, um, when I was in an advertising student at, um, University of Missouri, I, one of my professors, 
made a duplicate of this for me, so I have it on VHS, which of course we have no technology for anymore, but it's an old Folgers commercial. It's a coffee commercial, and it's from the dad's point of view, walking through the house, you know, different scenes. His wife and child are terrified of him. He sees the kid writing on the wall, and, you know, he says something to the kid, and the kid's, like, got this look of terror, and it's, like, scurries off. Like, it's clear. It's so clear that the dad's abusive, you know? Yeah. And the idea is, oh, but let me get you your cup of coffee, and you'll be fine. And the, what? You know, it's outrageous, but it that's how accepted it was, you know, that you could be that guy. I mean, you still see remnants of that today, this old attitude that, um, that you know, the father and the husband, uh, you know, can kind of bellow and order the family around. and Just because he makes the bills. Yeah, or just, you know, he's that, because that's how society has been. Yeah. That he's in charge of the whole family and, you know, making it makes your kids soft to not do that, to, to, you know, be like, okay, let's talk about why you just wrote on the wall. You know, <laughs> that, that is not how men have traditionally handled that. And so really in the last 50 years, they're all stupid. <laughs> in the last 50 years, we've started to see a change, thankfully in, you know, in equality and the way we treat each other. So in the sixties, there was an awakening that you couldn't hit your kids anymore like that. You couldn't abuse them. And then in the seventies, and, and I was spanking, I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, spanking held on for a while longer. Um, and then, and then in that, but still, but you know uh, what? I mean, recently we, we had a football player who was, you know, suspended because he whipped his kid with a belt, which in the black community, so, you know, spanking has sort of become taboo in the white community, but the black community would still be like, I'm going to whoop you, you know? Yeah. And they would take branches it, from trees and... Um, yeah, and then in Filipino, it's called um, my friend Sophia. Mm-hmm. Her parents would go, bok bok, which means they're going to hit you with a hanger. Oh, really? Spank you with a hanger, yeah. So whenever her little siblings did something wrong, they're like, you want to go buck buck? And they'd grab a hanger. Yeah. And they'd run off. And this is, like, by the way, a very sweet, gentle family. Yeah, it's <laughs> like a very... very... <laughs> no, their kids are crazy. That's why they do this. They never really actually hit them, but they just, like, threaten it. And they and then they're like, oh, you won't do it. And then they grab a hanger. They're like, really? And do then they, like, push them on the bed because they're obviously bigger than them. They're like, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they're like, no, don't. But this is, this is actually part of the thing of a a change in parenting where you know when I was when when I was a kid my my I would get spanked and it was usually by my dad but what would happen is I mean my parents took the emotion out of it I would get in trouble under my mom's watch right and then she'd be like when your dad's home coming home you're getting spanked you know and there was uh and it was so it was like a unemotional deliberate punishment that you waited all day terrified of, right? Because you had to wait for dad to get home, so you'd be like, oh no, oh no. You know? And then yeah. your sibling would be like, ha ha ha, all day long, you're gonna get it. And um, But that's all kind of, that that's all gone out of vogue. But the idea that you would fear your parents, and that fearing your parents is the way to raise your children so that they don't grow up to be, um, you know, out of control, disobedient, um, you know, kid, you know, heathens who are going to jail. You know? But you know what else abuse does? It fucks with your mental health, which mm-hmm. makes you go crazy, which makes you be even more of a delinquent or an alcoholic or a drug addict or just plaining crazy. You're right. I mean, you are right, and that is why <laughs> we finally. I mean, there's just been you know psychology 
has only been the, the idea that you would look at this behavior and say, it's causing this behavior. I mean, that's, that's the last hundred years. So you think how long humans have existed. I mean, this is all pretty recent that, that we've had these evolutions and discovery and thinking, huh, I think if I do this, it creates a bad effect. But before they said, hey, this is how you raise healthy kids. <laughs> Yeah. You knock them around. Well, I've only been, I only remember being spanked like once or twice. Yeah. And it was by you. Yeah. Well, I would like experiment with it because people would be like, you got to spank them. And, you know, so you're like, okay, like, I don't know. So I know. Uh, that's why it only happened like once. I, I, I never felt good about it. It never felt like it, like it never felt like the right thing to do. I think I spanked Cole once or twice. I don't know, at best. And, you know, I think I, I, but I, think I never I did was it being mean, though. Yeah. I think that you were like saying, I'm going to spank you. And I was like, you won't. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. and then you did. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's the thing, right? Like, I warn you. And then if you overlook the warning, then I'm like, oh, I'll do it. <laughs> um, okay. And then, uh, yeah. And so the other thing I want to talk about too, and that, by the way, just a footnote to that in the seventies, that's when it became taboo to hit your wife. So, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, with women's lib kind of becoming a thing, women were like, Oh, I'm not taking that anymore. Um, and then the last thing is we kind of touched on it, but the ESP of it all, you know, uh, there was a poll done, I don't know, in the last handful of years, I think it was 2011 or something and saying, what do people believe in? And, um, 48% of people believe in some sort of ESP, which is extrasensory perception or the ability to, you know, pick up on, on feelings, on, uh, uh, you know, vibrations on what's going on, you know, just kind of like your gut, you know, or, or actually psychic abilities. I have that. Do you? Tell me. You just look in someone's eyes and you can read everything. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we'll put you down as part of the 48%. Um, and uh, I keep telling everyone, I'm like, just look at their eyes. Mm-hmm. And then, like, we'll talk about it. And they'll be like, oh, they seemed um, they seemed okay. And I was like, did you see their eyes when you started talking about their ex-girlfriend? Mm-hmm. How they got all, like, droopy yeah. and, like, less eye contact. Yeah. And, like, you know, well, you I just think it's, pay, it's all in everyone's... Whenever you see someone's lying, mm-hmm. you can... They'll, uh, their eyes will kind of, like... Mm-hmm. lift up a little bit, go back down, figure out something to say, and then they'll say it. Well, I think what I, that's the eyes are the window to the soul. You're very perceptive to pick up on that. I think the ESP is a little more than that, thinking, you know, you can read someone's mind. You can... Um, the, I can't read anyone's mind, but I can read what they're doing. Mm-hmm. To... Or that you by can, their actions, by the way that they move their body, by the way that they move their face, by the way they say things. Mm-hmm. You can tell the mood that they're in and what they're planning on doing or if they're lying or not. Yeah. But have you ever, have you, I mean, this has only happened to me a couple of times, but, you know, I once walked into a room and knew what had happened there. Like, knew, didn't know exact details, but got a strong, overwhelming feeling of some things that had happened there and it turned out I was right, you know? Um, and so, you know, so I think that's more of ESP and then about a third of the country believes in ghosts and, uh, 56% of people believe in deja vu, right? I believe in deja vu. Yeah, me too. 
and and Jack, right, he's like, it's so weird. I got there and I knew around every corner. Of course, we find out why, because he was reincarnated, and about 21% of people believe in reincarnation. Okay, that's what that was, because I was, that's what I was going to bring up. Like, how, like, how did that happen? But I also believe in reincarnation, so. Yeah. There's no way in my, we're just going to go off on my own little okay, religious good. thing. Yeah. It's not religious, but I, everyone's like, uh, are you religious? And I'm like, if I'm anything, I'm a Buddhist because I believe in reincarnation because I believe that our souls do not go to waste. Mm-hmm. Why would whoever made our souls or the inside of us or our brains that function everything, why would they just waste that soul? Mm-hmm. Do you know how many people are born a day? Do you know how people die a day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like I, I, I agree. I've thought about that too. And actually, if you are Christian... You know, the idea is that not that heaven exists for us right now, but that the idea that Jesus is with God preparing heaven and that when the second coming happens, when Jesus comes back down, then we all get to go to heaven. At least that's my, you know, rudimentary understanding of it as a Christian who goes to church occasionally. Um but in that case, you're right. So to me, there's a idea where what what are we going to do with the soul? Also, because I love movies, there is one movie that really made sense to me, which was What Dreams May Come. And in that film, the idea is that you do go to this, you know, paradise, but it's kind of a game. Like, I can see where life is a game. And you can choose to go live it again. And see, you know, how you do, how you fare. Yeah. Do you want to? But when you get here, you don't remember anything. So you have to start, you know, at square zero as a baby. Oh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But um, I also think that, you know, it's kind of weird. Now we're just going on to a whole topic of reincarnation. But mm-hmm. I think it's weird that, you know, all of us have our favorite, you know, decade that we didn't live in. Right. And... Like, I, of course, love the 80s mm-hmm. and 70s, 80s era because it was simple. There wasn't really anything going on. Drugs were pretty, like, all over the place. It was just, cra- it was just chaos. You but mean you'd, was- like to do, you'd like to have lived when everyone was doing drugs without conscience? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I think is fun. I just think it's, like, like this, but that's where all of the creativity came from, and it's all because of, like, your guys' parents and how they, you know, treated you and how the drug. Like, it's just, like, a whole... Thing mm-hmm. that I like, I like the style. I like how they did everything, mainly. Yeah, but besides like abuse and stuff and <laughs> parents, but that's been going on, like I said, forever, forever. So that you know, that doesn't matter. <coughs> but for some reason, my friend Addison told us yesterday that he loves the fifties and sixties, and we were like, why? <laughs> yeah, like me and Celeste were like, like. Um, wasn't that, like, really bad back then? Like, wasn't it, like, really racist and still against women, like, having jobs and mm-hmm. not being equal? Like, wasn't that one of the worst time periods? Mm-hmm. And he, he thought, he called us idiots. He was like, are you for real right now? Are you for real right now? And we were like, yeah, it was worse in the 30s and stuff, but, like, at the 60s were st- and 50s were still pretty bad, like, with for the economy and for everyone and racism and s- uh, sexism and just everything. Mm-hmm. And he just tried to go off about... And so, like, 
literally, he's, ex- like, trying to explain why he loves this era that was just full of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm like, what draws you, like, what even draws you to that? Yeah. What draws you to the 50s and 60s where movies were crap? Well, <laughs> and, like, and there, and, like, there was barely any TVs. T- like, did TVs exist yet? Like, only yeah. radio it did, was, right? It was the beginning, yeah, like, no, it was the beginning of TV. It was yeah. the beginning of that era, So, yeah. so everything was, like, black and white and no audio and pictures were awful like no one really has any pictures unless they were taken professionally and you know it was all like it's all like what like well i'll tell you what and 80s were creative they were like it was big and it was it was colorful and it was you know different ideas and showing how different kids lives were which just related everyone related to it it created relation to everything which is when teen movies came out like you were saying with like leah thompson like that's when teen movies came out during like the 80s era which made everything more relatable and kids were all like oh i love these movies and all those movies are iconic because you guys saw them when you were younger and were like i've never seen anything like this because it's creative and it's different and it's showing real life issues that people actually have yeah and everything else was just put aside and like you can deal with it yourself and I'm gonna hit my wife and no one's gonna say shit Mm -hmm. like it's just different like if every like everyone has an era that they wish they were supposed to be in Mm -hmm. so maybe they did live that era and had their best life in that era it may it may be like maybe I died of a drug overdose in 2000 (laughs) yeah like what like what if that was something I mean I think that and there's always the birthmark thing because like my friend Lexi she has a birthmark right under her chin that she's had since she was little and there's this thing that's um I don't know if it's like natives or something which i also i love natives i believe in everything they believe i'm like native americans yeah yeah i'm full like full native by heart not Mm -hmm. irish (laughs) um so she has a birthmark right under her chin area and so the the saying is that if your birthmark is the place that you last died in your last life. So for her, I feel like she showed me this in like seventh grade. She's this big birthmark right under her chin, mm-hmm. like right on her neck where you can't see it. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a gunshot. Oh, wow. Like she like took a gun right mm-hmm. here and just blasted mm-hmm. like that. And so like, Oh, what? I, that would be interesting. What if we're all suicide victims who are forced to relive our lives? <laughs> Like, you know, you're not allowed to pull out of the game. Well, I was thinking the other day, I was like, what if this, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but I was like, what if this is our hell? Mm-hmm. What if this is hell? Right. Because, I mean, do you know how much bullshit we're dealing with every single day? Like, how many panic attacks I have a day for little tiny things that don't matter, but yeah. it's really annoying. Mm-hmm. Like, like work, just working gives me a panic attack because I just can't deal with stupid people. Like, like working in a restaurant is honestly hell. Because mm-hmm. there's stupid middle-aged white women that always have something to say and always tell your manager, I already <laughs> have three write-ups, didn't even know I had two of them like didn't even sign it like it's just like everything's hell Mm -hmm. like everything is your own personal hell this is hell so what happens afterwards that's why people probably kill themselves like this is literally my hell why am i still here yeah and then they probably have to relive it again right and there's just like a whole thing like i was thinking about the other day like um if we get reincarnated into people or dogs or our dogs like like 
ex-felons or something that you know like people who were murderers yeah, and so now people, they have to be some you know, people think dogs are angels watching you know yeah um but right i mean yes be extra nice to your dog just in case yeah um, <laughs> uh yeah well let me i want to go back to the, the thing that you said because if i had that era that i used to really treasure and, and i don't feel like this as much now but if there were, if i had to live in any other era i would want to live in the 20s now what the 20s and the 1950s to mid-60s and the 80s have in common is that these were pockets of time where we were not in a war. Now, in the 50s, there was the Korean War, but it was pretty small and it wasn't as impactful. But, you know, the 20s was in between World War One and World War II. Um, it was, you know, it was crazy fun time before the Depression. You know, everybody, women did have some equality there. You know, at the same time, though, right, this is when racism resurged and all of these, you know, Confederate statues got put up everywhere and where uh, basically the Jim Crow laws came in and all of this started to, to be hateful uh, about black people and take away their rights again. That started at the same time. But what do we remember? We remember crazy fun times. We remember flappers and dancing and smoking and opium, you know, or yeah. whatever they were smoking at the time and whatever they were doing and taking. Um, and the 50s is a time where people look as a peaceful time where the family unit worked. Now, was that true? I mean, women stayed at home and they didn't have career options. They, uh, but you know, they were, we had a, we had a way, right? It was like the dad works and the company will employ the dad for, you know, his entire career. You start with this paint company and you retire with this paint company or whoever it is that you work for. You know, we, people worked in factories because we made things. And so whatever it was, no one had a lot of money, but every Everyone was, you know, everyone seemed sort of, you know, even. even. And, you know, moms were home with their kids. And, you know, like, was it this perfect utopian uh, world? No. <laughs> but the memory that has, um, the memory of it is Mayberry. The memory of it are these TV shows that painted this pretty picture of what the 50s were like. Yeah. And then, of course, by the 60s, things start getting worse, and we get into the Vietnam War, and it's, you know, and, and it's, the whole world is in chaos in, by the end of the 60s. And so then they, by the time we get to 1980, as we've talked about a lot, the 70s are all upheaval, you know? And then by the time we get to 1980 and we're out of the war and everyone's just, like, sort of, you know, getting through their PTSD of just living life. And, uh, I mean, by the way, there were, like, all these serial killers, too, right, in the 70s. Yeah. I mean, it was just insane. There was, like, all kinds of craziness happening. And then the 80s, it's, like, a collective sigh of relief. We can sort of just, like, you know, live life. And that's why I think you love the 80s and why people love the 80s. It was a carefree time. Now, as we talk about... There was misogyny on the rise, you know. There was this this attitude of you know uh, that that came out of women being equal partners in having free love and and yeah. sex and in in drugs not at that point being bad. You know, people didn't know the effect long term effects of some of these drugs yet, um, and so it was just kind of this wild time where everybody let loose. But then, of course, consequences come: AIDS and. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, the fact that, you know, people's nose is falling off because of cocaine or their yeah. addictions. And, and, and now we know the consequences. And then by the 90s, people start to get responsible again. Yeah. And then, of course, 
and now we don't give a shit. <laughs> we yeah, don't care. I mean, honestly, if we look at a perfect decade, it may be the '90s, honestly. Yeah. And um, but the uh, yeah, because 2001, <coughs> we're off to the races, and that is part of why I think your generation has these anxiety and depression issues because well, you've yeah. grown up with that over your shoulder your whole life. Yeah, dude, listen, like, for all adults listening to this, every single one of your children wants to kill themselves at some point. We literally, on a daily basis, every single day, I say the sentence, I want to kill myself. Or every other person says, I want to kill myself. Because we have to deal with stupid stuff that we're tired of dealing with. We're tired of dealing with all of these stupid, bull- like, all just dumb stuff. Like, that doesn't matter. And it's like, why even live here? Like, there's not like there's nothing special going on right now. Because it's easy. It's easy right now. Like, all we have is the president trying to put us through another civil war. And, and there's like... What's the point of even living anymore? That's what, like, that's just what we all have mindset. Like, everything would be so much easier if I just wasn't alive. It doesn't even have to do with bullying. It's, like, about, like, it, and that's what causes alcoholism. And, I, you know, I was talking to my friend about it who has, you know, tried to kill herself. And some, I think Addison said, like, oh, most people who try to commit suicide, most girls use pills and it's like yeah if anyone like it doesn't make sense in my mind if you're gonna kill yourself like why you would hang yourself because that hurts or why you would you know like slit your wrist because that hurts mm-hmm. <laughs> like pills you can get you might get a high from it and then you'll die well i think that part and it's easy so they say and this could be you know I don't know that this is true. To me, like, you know, pills is a gentler way to go, right? But women choose pills and slitting their wrists because there's time to be saved. So when women commit suicide, they don't, the thinking is that they don't really want to commit suicide. They, they think they, it's a, they can be saved. Whereas when men want to commit suicide, they use a gun, you know, they, they usually, hang themselves or shoot themselves and the idea is that they want it done and they want it over yeah yeah so um i think that uh i mean i'm because men are straight to the point and women like to play games no key yeah low key yeah. <laughs> and when you say that you and all your friends talk about wanting to kill yourself do, but the, that's is that with the point of view of i'm not going to yeah but i want to yes it's it's one of those things where like, every single child I've ever talked to said, oh my god, tomorrow I'm slitting my wrists. Like, mm-hmm. and they never do it. It's just, it's literally, it's become a way of saying, like, this sucks. Like, that's just the way it's said. So, like, when a therapist, when I'm like, ugh, I'm gonna kill myself, a therapist would be like, oh my god, what do you need to be prescribed? But that's not, like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, this life sucks, I have nothing to do about it, I can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't, you know. Yeah, but you get there's a lot of rewards to life. Like, you just have to, like, there is a lot of joy. And there's a lot of BS, too. Well, I'm expect The only reason I'm not going to kill myself is because I expect us to die very soon with this climate change. So, you know, (laughs) we're just going to see how far we can go with that. We're not... Like, like, apparently, our children are going to live by two. So, like... And then we're all going to die. So, you know, might as well just continue it. (laughs) 
If I become homeless, I'll die at some point. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, everyone's just so content. Like, like on tw- if you just look on Twitter, it's people saying, can I please get hit by a car? Like, people are like, if I get hit, hit by a car right now, I would not be upset about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, no one cares. Mm-hmm. Like, no one cares anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I hope, though, that you find some moments of joy that make it more worthwhile. I think there is a lot of nonsense. What what, what the experts would tell you is that what we have to work on is frustration tolerance, because there's a lot of frustration. But there's so much frustration, because the people that are living are fucking stupid. <laughs> I'm just letting... They're, the only reason I'm ever frustrated with something is because someone's being so dumb and just isn't listening to me and is just uh, thinks that they're the shit and that I'm a piece of trash. Like, that's the only reason people get frustrated anymore. Mm-hmm. Or if, like, their bill, like, bills or their job. Like, it's the only reason it's frustrating is because someone else does something stupid and you're like, can you not think... Can you not think? And then it becomes repetitive and more repetitive and more repetitive until you snap. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's frustration tolerance is what I'm saying. I know, but no one can even deal with it anymore because every single person that's around me is fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. But do you... And so do you ever try to see things from their point of view, though? Yes. I okay, see okay. everything from their point of view. <laughs> like, I'm like, I understand if maybe you, like, forgot this, but this is the 12th time I've told you to do something and you haven't done it. And this is, like, like I have to do, I have to do my work, but to do my work, I need you to do yours so that I can finish your work. Mm-hmm. So why don't you do your work so that I can do mine? And I won't be frustrated anymore, and you won't be, like, on my shit list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because this is the 12th time. Yeah. Yeah, but these are little, I mean, these are No, things, I know, they're, they're little, little things, things that, add, that add, up. add up. They add up, they add up, they add up, until you just snap. Because you're like, is nobody listening to me right now? Mm-hmm. Like, is no one listening to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know why we're on this topic. Well, I would say that you, well... You led us here, but that's all right. I think it's an interesting conversation. I wish I had better, uh, I was not prepared to talk about this, so I don't have amazing words of wisdom that I really wish I had at my disposal. But uh, but I would say that, you know, that whole It Gets Better campaign, in general, it is hard to be a teenager. It's really hard to be a teenager. And uh, because you don't have control over your life, you don't have the financial resources to do what you want to do. You are, you know, you are kind of stuck. And, you know, you're still learning things, right, at the same time. And so it does get better because, you know, you, if, if you're that, you know, if you are in a situation that makes you unhappy, you need to change your situation. You know, so if living in L.A., for instance, there are a lot of frustrations with living in L.A., um, you know, either you, you find a way that you can cope with it, like, okay, but I'm going to go to the beach. You know, this this is something that brings me happiness, or this is something that brings me happiness, and I'm going to do that. Or try living somewhere else, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know why in my brain Cambria is, like, a great place to live. I have no idea. We pass it when we go, you know, up to Monterey, and it just seems like this nice little 
artist retreat of a town that's on the water. It seems great. I could be wrong. But to me, I think of that, like, I wonder, you know, maybe we should just move to Cambria. <laughs> when Andy retires, we'll just move to Cambria. Um, and so, but, you know, you're young, and there's no reason that you couldn't find a job in another town and maybe find something different, like, you know, moving to Portland or you know, moving. I mean, for me, part of it, it's interesting because as our country has become so polarized, you know, the idea, like I've kind of been, we had some friends who moved to North Carolina and the cost of living in North Carolina is so much less than LA. You know, we would live like, yeah, but guess what? What am I supposed to do in Carolina? It's a beautiful place. You and Danny are going to love it. Uh, I think that's one of the great things and I hope people appreciate it. And what we try to do with this podcast is it's about the movie and it's about understanding Gen X and what was going on at the time and the, and the issues they may be dealing with or the way that they were influenced. But it's also looking at it through the Gen Z point of view of how they're taking all that as well and how they see it. Um, and so we get off topic, but I think it's so fascinating to hear the way a teenager thinks and how they see the world. And so I hope that everybody kind of gets that too. Um, but this is 80s Movie Guide. This is about 80s movies. So we hope you go to the website 80smovieguide.com and follow us on social media at 80s Movie Guide uh, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Thanks.